0: Why is Randall Kleiser, the director of the movie Grease, doing VR? Let's find out. You are listening to the How to Create VR Podcast, weekly conversations with VR and AR professional creators, designers, and producers. Hello and welcome to another episode of the How to Create VR podcast, where I speak with professional creators, designers, developers, and producers who work on VR, AR, and MR projects. I'm Marcelo Lewin, a VR evangelist and the creator of HowToCreateVR.com. My guest today is Randall Kleiser, best known for directing the movies Grease, Flight of the Navigator, and many more. Randall and I will be talking about his movies, filmmaking in general, his current 360 project, a 12-part VR series called The Frost, and the future of VR and filmmaking. But before we get started, I want to remind you to register at howtocreatevr.com. It's free, and registration gives you access to all of our content, including tutorials, podcasts, interviews, and more. Just visit howtocreatevr.com and click on the Register for Free button. All right, Randall, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Marshall. Good to hear you. Thank you
0: for doing the podcast. I'm happy to announce that you are also will be doing our VR event in Altspace VR pretty soon. I don't want to say what date, because it depends when this podcast will air, but I'm happy that you're doing that. So thank you for doing all of this.
1: Yes, that's something that I've only done recently, and it's quite interesting. Anybody with a headset can download the software to do that, right?
0: Exactly. All Space VR. And it's interesting because you actually attended the Brett Leonard VR event. And that's where we started talking and asked you if you wanted to do this. So right. it was great to see you virtually in VR. So do
1: you think everybody out there knows about how it works with the avatars? You become an avatar, you talk, you're talking in a room with other avatars. I guess maybe people who listen to these podcasts know all that already, right?
0: I think people that are listening to this podcast know about that. But you're right. Not Everybody will know how to do that, but I think with the Oculus Quest and the release more into the mass market, I think it's going to get to that point. Good. But before we get started, I want to talk about your background because you have an amazing background in filmmaking. Obviously, you're the director of the movie Grease, and I don't know who in the world does not know that movie. We've done the Grease on the Hollywood Bowl, the sing-along, many times, mm-hmm. and uh, of course watched it back in the 70s. So give us your background first. You know, How did you get into film? filmmaking before we even jump into Greece and the other great movies you made
1: I went to USC film school came out from Philadelphia and became roommates with George Lucas and the two of us wanted to get into the movie business but our professors told us that we would never be able to because we weren't related to anybody at that time the studio system was in place and you had to be related to someone or have contacts to to even sweep a soundstage.
0: Wow, so are you still keeping in touch?
1: Yes, actually, next month he invited me to Italy with his wife to a villa that he had. It's very cool.
0: So obviously you both went on to make great films. How did you get involved with
1: Greece? I had directed John Travolta in Boy in the Plastic Bubble, and he requested me. Oh, I
0: see. Okay, because I remember watching, it was a TV special, and uh, I didn't know it was before
1: Greece. Yeah, we got along, John and I, and so he asked, you know, who you want to direct Greece, and he said me.
0: Was John Travolta already a big star by that time?
1: Yes, he had just done Saturday Night Fever. Welcome back, Carter. And Boy in the Plastic Bubble. So he had all that going. And um, he was probably one of the, the... At that time, he might have been the biggest star in the world. Because in London for the premiere, it was a complete mob scene like The Beatles, you know. And people were rocking the car. And, and it was it was crazy.
0: So how hard was directing... First of all, the musical, right? And then also directing him after Saturday Night Fever.
1: He certainly had an entourage, which he didn't have before. Right. I outline all this in detail in a book that I have coming out just by chance. Oh, cool. Tell us. October 22nd. It's called The Grease Director's Notebook from Harper Collins and in it's my screenplay with everything all my notes my storyboards, my designs my uh, call sheets behind the scenes photos that we took that no one's ever seen things like that it's coming out October
0: 22nd well then I'll just ask you one more question before we move out of this but did you think it would become this worldwide hit
1: no none of us knew that we thought it would last one summer and that would be it but now 40 years later it's still going strong it's amazing and what do you think I mean is it the music it's a combination of timing and music and casting and know, it was a hit Broadway show to start with. So all that came together with John and Olivia's wonderful leads.
0: Well, and the music is so timeless, right? I mean, it's just as good as it was 40 years ago as it is today when you listen to it. Seems to be, yeah. So from that, you also did, and this is relevant also to VR, which we're going to get to pretty soon, but you also did Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, which was in Disneyland, right? That's right. And that kind of relates to LBE, location-based entertainment. So how did you get involved in the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience?
1: I had directed the movie, Honey, I blew up the kid. And because of that, Jeff Katzenberg asked if I wanted to do a Disneyland ride. And I said, sure. Because I really love uh, high tech, and so the way we shot that was with two seventy millimeter cameras, the mirror in the middle that allowed you to shoot one camera for one eye and one for the other. And we shot this three D stage play, which was then reprojected exactly onto the real stage at Disneyland, and the actors were the same height, so it looked like it was real. It was shot in three D and there's a scrim in front of the audience so it looked pretty real like they were really people up on the stage so that was certainly trying to be virtual reality and things happen to the audience you know 4d kind of effects water spurting on them and things tickling their legs and things like that that's really haptic virtual reality
0: it really is so when we're going to jump into your current film in 360 and also the volumetric video as well but are you looking to do anything with location-based entertainment and full vr in the near future
1: i would love to do that we're going to do that with the thing I did for Paramount and Intel, but we decided to make that into augmented reality because more people are into that right now.
0: Well, why don't you tell us a little about that partnership with Intel and Paramount and it's Greece's song, You're the One That I Want, right? So tell us, how did you get involved in that project? What is that project? How can people consume it? That kind of stuff.
1: It's in its early stages. We're not sure where they're going to release it. It was just shown at Cannes last week and it's basically an augmented reality new have like 20 dancers show up on a tabletop and it goes through the song and they're doing different choreography and things like that. So it was really well received at can and uh, I'm not sure what the next step is, where it will be shown or how it will be done because it was just recently completed. Can
0: you tell us about the process? How was it videotaped? Part of it is in your side where you have this huge dome yeah. and then you have tons of cameras so can you tell us a little bit about that process?
1: Well, that's called volumetric capture. It's done with cameras shooting the subject from different angles. In this case, we had 20 dancers and 96 cameras. Once you get a 3D rendition of a person, like it's called a point cloud, sort of like a hologram once it's in the computer you can then walk around it and be with a vr headset or you can make it into an augmented reality event or you can use it as like shooting a regular movie where you can do wide shots close-ups dolly shots you know using the assets that are in the computer already usually the background will be a game engine So it's like a video game, but with real people
0: in it. So what you're telling me is with volumetric video and the way you guys shot this is you could do the framing in post as opposed to in production.
1: If you were going to do a 2D output, but it's a 3D asset that can be done either with headsets or with augmented reality. Once it's all captured, you can do anything with
0: it. And when we're saying 3D, we don't mean 3D as in glasses 3D. We're talking about full three dimensions, like in a computer game engine. Mm -hmm. So what was your involvement in this? Were you the director? did you come up with the idea that you do Were you involved in any of the, you know, the technology or
1: Intel was interested in trying out their new stage so this happened to be the 40th anniversary of Greece so those two things came together and we started to piece it together with different vendors and stuff and hired a choreographer and rehearsed for quite a while and figured out the backgrounds that we were going to use and slowly pieced it all together
0: interesting did you like the process of volumetric video yes
1: I think it's gonna be the future because if you could film an actor, say a big star for instance, instead of them going to Atlanta for four months they could be in LA for three days and do all their work and then be placed into wherever you need them.
0: And then from the consumer side, you have full six degrees of freedom, right? Where you can move around and, and not just see them from the front angle or the middle like in typical 360 video, but you can walk
1: around them. Yes. Just going to be so different for people because they'll have a choice of who to look at and what to do. You know, sometimes when you're watching a movie, you want to focus on one character and the director has you going somewhere else. So it'll be a way for people to have more choice when they're watching a movie.
0: Well, but let's talk about that. A little bit more right because what you just said was the director wants you to do something but now you have the choice to do something else so what does that do to current and future directors what is their role now and also DPs where they're framing but there's no more frame so what are their roles
1: well it's to guide the audience to the best experience but the audience can decide that they want to go in a different way But if they go in the suggested way, it's the best experience according to the director.
0: I see. So we're moving away from moving them along the story and now we're suggesting to them the best route. But like going to a place, you have multiple ways of getting there.
1: Bandersnatch is an interesting example on Netflix where you can choose which way to go. But if you analyze questions, you know that some are dead ends and you're gonna have to go back and redo it anyhow. So (laughs) you, you take the suggested route. Right. You have the ability to go down the wrong route, and you can sort of see it's going to be a dead end. So why do it, you know? It's just like in a play, you can watch the exit sign for the whole play, but why do it?
0: That's definitely true. Now, one of the things that people are experimenting with is the ability to follow an actor and just listen to their point of view about that story, right? Ultimately, you still have a whole storyline, but... You have different VR experiences where you get to choose which actor to follow and just listen to them. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Well, it's very much like uh, some experimental plays that have been done, particularly I know of one in L.A. that was very popular for a while. I do not remember the name of it, but there's another one like Tony and Tina's Wedding. Have you heard of that? I have not. Tony and Tina's Wedding is a play that's done in like a reception room. a room and the actors are all acting like you're not there and they have a complete wedding and the audience is around they can go anywhere they want and go up to any actor that they want and they're not going to even blink an eye that they know they're there that's kind of like what we're talking about in this virtual reality six degrees of freedom
0: and so immersive theater
1: right and there's several versions of that where the actors are doing things in a 3d space and you can walk around and follow any of them as they go in and out of rooms
0: so do you think this type of storytelling will replace Place, traditional storytelling or do you think it's just going to be another way of telling a story and people will just choose what they like?
1: I think it'll be the latter because I don't think movies are ever going to die. They're, they're so powerful. I mean, even you look at some black and white movies from the 20s and, and they still communicate as well as they did then. So that's not going to go away, but it's nice to have a choice and to see where it leads, you know, what new things could happen.
0: I agree with you. I mean, there are times when I feel like I want to have control and have this full six degrees of freedom and agency and move around and make decisions. And there are times where I just want to sit in front of the quote-unquote tube, although it's not a tube anymore, and just watch, right? And be guided and be told what to do.
1: Exactly, yes. There's been a hundred years of sitting back and letting the director tell a story. Right.
0: Well, let's talk about the other project you're involved in, which is DeFrost.
1: Oh, it's a 12-part BR series. Each episode is five minutes. And basically, you become a character and the actors play it to you. It's kind of a first-person experience. You should, by the end of the 12 episodes, feel like you've actually become that character.
0: Now, you made it a 12-part series, 5 minutes each. Is that your take on 360 video? Is that it shouldn't be, what's 12 times 5? That's 60 minutes. It shouldn't be an hour long where most people are not going to sit in a headset for an hour, but they will go and watch something for 5
1: minutes? Well, we modeled it after Netflix, where you have the different episodes hanging in space, and you can binge watch or you can see as many as you want. And with the current head-mounted displays, where many people... People don't want to be in it for very long. The current is five minutes. People are happy with that. But after five minutes, some people get restless. So that's why we designed it that way.
0: VR could be mentally draining if you put it on for too long. Well,
1: at the current way it works, yes, because the resolution is not that good and the head mounted displays are heavy. So as the resolution upgrades and the viewing devices get lighter, I think people will embrace it a lot more.
0: I don't know if you mentioned it was called the Frost, right? And it's available in Veer right now? Is it going to be available anywhere else?
1: Samsung may be able to do it soon. We've been talking
0: to them. Were you the writer of it and director?
1: Yes, I wrote it actually when I went to film school back in the 60s because it was when cryogenics first came out, the idea of freezing people and bringing them back to life. And so I wrote the story about this woman who's frozen for 30 years, and now it is 30 years later, (laughs) and she's supposed to be waking up now. Today, meeting her family who have gotten older, she stayed frozen, stayed the same age.
0: That's interesting that you wrote it back in the 60s. Now, back then, were you thinking, of course you weren't thinking of VR, right? right. Because VR wasn't around, at least not to the point where it was in the consumer, but did you ever think you would make a VR out of this? Were you thinking of just shooting it with a traditional film? or
1: Thinking of shooting it as a traditional film from the point of view of the character. When I saw The Oculus Rift about five years ago, I remembered that film that I never shot. And I thought, wow, this is the perfect marriage because the woman's in a wheelchair, she can't speak, she can't get up and move around. Right. So it's perfect for a passive viewer in 360 video.
0: What was it like working with the actors?
1: I wanted to use actors who were familiar with being on the stage because shooting VR is very much like a stage play the way we were doing it where it's no cuts all one take so that it feels like reality, not like a movie. I want to make sure we had actors who were happy and could handle five minutes without stopping. Some of them can't. All the actors had done stage plays.
0: I see. So all your shots are one shots, basically?
1: Yes. Uh-huh.
0: I'm assuming you've done multiple
1: takes and then picked the best. That's right, yeah. I have to remember which are the good takes, because at the time we shot this, we couldn't record it and play it back right away. It took some time. And plus, I had to be in the shot, because there was no way to hide with... 360
0: so that's right if you look behind because you as a viewer are the patient right when you turn your head there you are because you're the one pushing me
1: i'm a wheelchair nurse exactly yeah by the way great performance <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to do nothing so I could just watch and not react to it right point. right actually what I'm doing the whole time there is thinking okay is this the take or did they screw up in some spot do we have to do another one was number four better than this one all that's going on through my head
0: right and as a director you also have to keep in mind not just the people in front of the wheelchair right but everything going on around the room so before you even start the shot and what kind of direction do you give of everybody, including the people that are to the right and to the left and behind.
1: We rehearse with an actress in the wheelchair so that they can play to her and get the kind of chemistry and contact and partnering that would happen with any normal scene. And then the actors would remember all that, what they played to her and when we put the dummy with the camera on top. So they had a chance to have a real connection with the character before we shot. We'd do like five or six rehearsals with the girl in the chair until everybody knew what they were doing I had a chance to look around and see what everyone was doing. And then we would shoot. I try to remember the best tape. What camera did you shoot with? We shot with the Nokia OZO. It was the prototype of that camera. Which is out of business now. It's out of business. We had the very first version of it and it was not ready for prime time, but we were experimenting to see how it worked. And... It required a lot of post production to make the stitching work. Today, you can have it automatically stitched, but back then we had to do it by hand, and it was hard. Back then, like three years ago, is like ancient history in VR. <laughs> right,
0: right. Have you used any other cameras since then? Have you looked at the Insta 360 Pro 2 or anything like that?
1: Let's see. No, because the next thing I did was the volumetric capture at Intel Studios.
0: So, were you also involved in any of the editing, or you had somebody else do the edit?
1: Editing wise, we didn't have the any- cut so but the editing was we, we did all the tunnels at the beginning and all the faces coming through the tunnel and the special effects we added some set extensions and some flying cars clones a crowd so it looked bigger things like that that you can do real easily in 2d but in 360 3d it was very 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 different and that's why it took us so long to finish the series
0: right because he also makes some flat video inside of the 360 right like the holograms of when people are calling in Yes,
1: yeah, that's true there was a lot of complicated stuff that it doesn't look complicated in the 2D, but when you switch it over to 360, 3D, it becomes really, really different.
0: Did you guys use Premiere Pro
1: in uh, After Effects? Yes, we did. And Nuke, we tried everything. There was one program called Kara that stitched it, but then the background would move with the heads of the people. So we had to rotoscope some of it and other stuff. We had to uh, make it look like it was part of her perception by putting a sound effect over it. What about
0: audio? Did you guys read record with labs?
1: Yeah, we used lavaliers, and then we went back in post and put them using ambiotic sound, we placed them right where the actors are in three sixty space, which is very, very
0: effective. Right, right. That makes a, a big difference. Dude. What about writing the script? Anything special that you had to do because it was three sixty?
1: Not really. It was pretty much like a regular movie, but in three sixty. I've written Season 2 of Defrost, and if we get funding, we'll do that. If we don't, we'll do something else. But in that one, I'm planning to have multiple paths that people can go down in each episode so that you can follow a character as they go out of the door. You can go after them, and the other one goes the other direction, you go after them. And then you can look at it again and reverse it and see what you missed.
0: Right. Are you thinking of gamifying it for maybe Season 2 and 3? <laughs>
1: that means turning it into a game?
0: Well, not so much turning it into a game, but the ability to, like you said, take different paths and then based on the path maybe have different kinds of things happen.
1: That would be a lot of fun if we got a huge uh, influx of cash to do that because I think it's a little complicated.
0: Well, there are applications out there now. Um, One that I can think of is called Scenario VR that you can actually very easily drag and drop 360 and add variables that depending on what you click, it could take you to a different path. There are ways of doing it that are much simpler now and that's what I love about VR right now is that they're coming out with better technology that makes it simpler for the rest of us right so you don't have to be a scientist to create vr what was that called scenario vr and we'll, i'll send you a link to it so that way you have it and give you a little quick demo Interesting. of it. yeah it's actually used for training but it could definitely well, be used for narrative
1: well every year i run the directors guild digital day where we show all the latest that year to directors so they know what the new things are yeah i think that vr was going to take off when the displays are super super light I can imagine a time when there will be wraparound clear glasses and you tap them and then you go to VR, you tap them again, you're into AR and tap them the third time and you're back to clear.
0: I 100% agree with you. I think my kids' kids are going to not know the difference between reality and full virtual reality. Yes, it's
1: pretty scary. It's as if they're on drugs the whole time.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah. But think of the holodeck. I mean, isn't that what we all want?
1: Bradbury wrote about that many years ago.
0: So, there's a couple of things that are not the yet in 360 one is a business and the other one is the cinematic language of it i mean we're all experimenting do you feel that there is a cinematic language to 360 yet like there is for traditional film where you have close-ups and you don't cross the 180 and all the rules we have now do you feel that there's anything like that in 360
1: i don't think so no I think that where it'll come out of is all the uh, film students who are experimenting with all this stuff because they have the time to do it and they don't have to make it commercial. They'll test things and try them out and come up with something, whole new language. And I guess that's what's
0: making it exciting right now, right? Where we all get to experiment.
1: Yes. Yes. It's very exciting. I've often said it's like going back to film school for me. Right. Well, technology changes
0: so quickly, right? Like you said, a year from now, everything that you know now, it's going to be old.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. The other part of it isn't settled yet in 360 video is the business side, the money. Was this funded by you out of pocket? Did you have partnerships? And are you able, and not specific to this project, but are people able to make money with 360 video narrative, on speaking?
1: In our case, my partner and producer and actress in the movie was Tana Frederick, who I had seen in many movies that were directed by Henry Jaglom. Tana, I I was very impressed by, and we were trying to figure out something that we could work on together. And then when I told her about this project, she said, well, she would go partners with me. So we both put up the money for it. Now we are starting to, we're getting like a little advance here and there for distribution. And um, it's really in its infancy and we're kind of like guinea pigs in a way.
0: What would you like to see change in 360 so it takes off? What do you think needs to change?
1: Easy, light, and high-res displays because when it gets sharper and clearer, you're used to looking at 8K televisions. And now we're looking at an image that looks like VHS through a screen door. So, you know, people can't make that adjustment so quickly.
0: Right. So you think there's too much friction first to get in, and then second, once you're in, you need to up the resolution and the clarity. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So with all those issues in VR, why are you such a believer of VR? Why are you taking the chance with the volumetric video project? the defrost project i mean you're obviously a very successful traditional filmmaker why are you making the jump on this and why are you believer of this well
1: i just think that that's where the future is going to be and entertainment and i am excited to get into it i'm jumping ahead trying to try it out first and see what it's like i know it's going in that direction so it's fun to be on that path
0: have you tried the new oculus quest yet
1: no i have not but i saw online on youtube there's a comparison of oculus quest on the right PC version on the left. It's very interesting because it's still clear that the PC is sharper and clearer than the Oculus Quest. Have you seen
0: it? I own it. I bought it, of course, when it came out. And I'll make this prediction right now, and I could be completely wrong. But I think this is the beginning of the death of desktop HMDs, desktop VR. And here's why I say this. I think people don't care so much about how clear it is. The majority of people, you're always going to have the super high-end gamers and the scientists that need super high-end simulations. But I'm talking about the majority of people. They want the freedom to be able Mm -hmm. to move around and not be tethered. Once I put this on and I play outside in the backyard, which is big, I have full freedom of movement. Nothing tethers me. There's no computer. There's no device. It's just that thing and me in a huge room. Um, I get to go wherever I want. I will take the slight degradation of quality, which I don't think it's that noticeable unless you literally put it one next to each other. I will accept that because I have the full freedom of movement, which gives me that feeling of the hollow deck
1: yes now where do you live
0: what city mm-hmm. oh in southern california
1: oh well
0: i'd like to come kind of see that <laughs> oh totally yeah we'll definitely get together
1: right, because i did do the ineratu project at the los angeles county museum of art okay which just sounds like what you're talking about
0: well yeah with the quest depending on the experience you have you have full room scale all right, Randall, one last question, or actually, I lied, two more, and then we're done. I know you're a busy guy. What's your thought on AR?
1: Well, I think it's a lot of fun. I don't know exactly yet how you tell a story with it. I guess you could. You know, you could be like in your room and people could be breaking in and trying to, Some I don't know. I haven't thought about it too much in storytelling, but I can imagine that it would work. I just kind of like VR because you go to a whole new world you know rather than where you are and I think one of the things that people like to do in entertainment is to escape right sometimes and then- it's nice to escape from where you are and go somewhere new.
0: Right, definitely. Although, if you think about making a horror movie that's happening in your house, that would be that's, so creepy. Yes,
1: that would be very creepy. Yes. Right, right, definitely. When you have a VR experience, it often feels more like a memory or a dream when you look back at it.
0: That's the full immersion of it, right? Yeah. So, if you had the power to shape VR right? And you're in full control, let's pretend. What would you do?
1: I would make amazing places where you could go and experience great stories. <laughs> well, you've got the power to do that. <laughs> I mean,
0: you did it in 2D. What's going to stop you from doing it in full VR, right?
1: I will try, yes. Mm-hmm. Excellent.
0: Well, Randall, we're completely out of time, but I really do want to thank you for doing this and also for doing the VR event, mm-hmm. which will be coming up. So, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Take it easy with myself.
0: If people want to get a hold of you, or do you want to give the URL for defrost movie?
1: Defrost VR dot com and any writers or directors or actors out there who want to learn about directing. Nina Fosh com N-I-N-A-F-O-C-H project.com
0: oh that's awesome we'll put it in our show notes for sure great thanks randall i really appreciate it and to the rest of you i'm glad you were here with us just a quick reminder if you want to access all of our content including tutorials podcast interviews and more register for free at howtocreatevr.com so until the next episode i'm Marcella lewin cheers everyone